Okay. Good morning. Hello, hello. Uh, I just have one announcement this morning. Uh, just as a reminder, we don't have uh, Bible study next week, so we're just doing a one-week spring break. Um, if you have a high schooler or you know of high schoolers, uh, high school Bible study resumes again to, um, on Wednesday. So they were off the last two weeks because they had school spring break, uh, but they are back. So Wednesday night, high school Bible study will be back, um, but then next week we will break for one week of spring break for Shannon. And then when we come back from spring break, we will finish out the year and we will announce the end date. Um, I think we're going into the first week of May, I believe. A little bit. So uh, we'll have a few weeks back together after spring break. Um, we are in Daniel chapter 9 again this week. Yes. No. High school will have Bible study next week just because they had two weeks off already. Good question. So we will post that on social media um, just so that everyone knows. And then Shannon will make an announcement to the high schoolers, making sure they know to come back next week. Have a great rest of your week. Good morning. How's everybody? You have to be better than me because I'm a little eh today. Um, if I'm not real huggy, touchy, kissy with you like I normally am, I do not feel well. So I'm a little nauseous. Yeah, I know. It's no bueno. I know y'all are like, stay away. It's probably because I'm exhausted. Okay, but <laughs> when I can't drink coffee, there's a problem. Right? I called my friend this morning. I said, I go, you need to pray. What is that? What did you say? I can't hear. Oh, yeah. No, I am not pregnant. I can tell you that. Uh, No shot. I got powdered eggs, girl. Powdered eggs. It's like, no. Not happening. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Oh, man, yeah, good luck. Um, <laughs> I called my friend and this morning. I'm like, I'm so nauseous. You need to pray for me as I go into Bible study. And he's like, uh, I go, I can't even drink coffee. That's how nauseous I am right now. And he's like, well, maybe that's God telling you to quit drinking coffee and start drinking some water, Shannon. Water, drink water. I'm horrible. I said, you know what? I did not call you for your opinion. I called you for your prayers. That's what I needed this morning. Oh, my goodness. So um, I, I was uh, away this weekend. As you know, I left on Thursday and um, flew into Baltimore. And then I was in Maryland and Pennsylvania this weekend. Um, yeah. And so um, and we drive quite a bit between the cities. So it's long. These trips are very long. And, uh, but on Friday night, I, man, I was wrestling on Friday. I could not figure out what I wanted to teach. I know y'all are like, what? You're not prepared? No, I'm prepared, right? But I could not, I have been uh, sharing, um, in, wrapped in different sermons, but I've been sharing my story for the past three years to where I put my story about me and what I've gone through and Zachary and and all of that. And as you know, it is a very uh, hard and touching story. But um, I just kept wrestling with it because part of me, I think I I don't want to get stuck in that story. Do you know what I mean? 
And it's easy to do because you know it's going to resonate with the crowd and there's a lot of people going through pain. But I don't feel like I'm personally called just to tell a story. I believe I've been equipped and called to tell the story. And so I think I was wrestling with um, what am what to do. I literally could not make up my mind until five minutes before I went out. That's not a great place to be when you're about to walk out on stage. I mean, I would have picked one and I would have gone all in. But I'm just telling you, I could not... Uh, figure out what I wanted to do. And it was interesting because that first night in Baltimore, we had VIP and one of the gals that came, and I'm sure she's listening because she does, her name is Shannon. And she had seen me, we had met a couple times at other Aspire events and she drove in to hear me at that event. And she, at the last minute, I was about to go and prepare to for the event. I was the host this weekend too, which is a lot of energy. And she looked at me and said, I have been enjoying your Daniel study so much. I'm listening online, just know. And she said, and I just loved it when you taught about the young man at Village Inn and um, the girl. And then you taught, you know, the Matthew 26 with Daniel and all of that. It really resonated. And I looked at her and I go, thank you. I really appreciate it. You just made the decision of what I'm going to teach tonight. That was the sermon I had uh, in back, and I just thought, okay, that is the Lord saying, it's this one. And so um, I went out and taught that. It was uh, very powerful. Um, you guys know the message um, because I've taught it to you. So the next day we get up, we have to drive four and a half hours to uh, where we were in Pennsylvania. And um, it's called Linesville, Pennsylvania. And it's cool to be in these beautiful small towns because all the other small towns from all, people drive two hours uh, or more to come to these events because if you're from a rural area, you don't get a lot of events. And so they bring their women's groups in. It was, it was awesome. So we get up there and I started to do my thing. And you guys, I am not kidding you. I got to the place where um, Jesus is quoting in Matthew 26 from Daniel chapter 7. And I said, you need to understand the vision of Daniel chapter 7. And I talked to them about the beasts, the parade of beasts trampling over the innocent. And then I said, but then there are two other scenes in there. There is the Ancient of Days who comes down and I'm describing it and, and describing him. And he's... he's uh, in court and thousands upon thousands are watching and he pulls out the book and he opens the book and when he does one of the horns is still running his mouth but when he does the beast is destroyed and you guys what i said and the beast is destroyed it went whoop, and it went totally black all the electricity went out <laughs> i'm talking pitch black in the entire town not just the church the town all right what we didn't realize is that there was a major windstorm going on out there. How interesting. And he rebuked the winds. And the, I was like, this, the prince of the air is not liking this situation. And it went black. And I got chill bumps. I actually went, whoo. And then the people, you could hear them gasp, the women. And I said to them, hey, no worries. We're not letting this stop us. I was fired up. I, I mean, it honestly fired me up. And I said, everybody get out your phones. And everyone got out their phones and they lit their phones 
And I finished, I taught the entire sermon lit to phones. It was the most powerful thing ever. And y'all better be glad that my mind is a still trap when it comes to the Bible because if I'd have needed notes, if I would have been a teacher that needed notes, like I do on Tuesday mornings because everything's new, it'd have been over because it was black on the stage. But they lit me up, and I mean, we went to town. It was the most powerful night. And then Lindsay McCall got up with just her guitar, and we had no mics. I mean, I was shouting. It's a good thing I have a big mouth, right? I hear Colleen Garday, amen. Um, And so, but it was a super powerful night, but man, was I tired. It was so dark that I had to dismiss them by row like a wedding. I would come to the aisle because I didn't want any older women to fall because it was so dark. We got in our cars. We had to pack up in the dark so women were lighting up the room in the dark. We leave. We go to our hotel. We can't stay at the hotel. It has no electricity. So we had to, so hopefully, y'all were supposed to be praying for me this weekend. I don't know. And uh, I had to, we drove like an hour and 15 minutes to find a Hilton that had power. And then the next night, it it, it was just a powerful weekend, but uh, I am exhausted. And when that happens, I, I don't know about you, but I could tell this morning, do you remember how I always talk about how Elijah, when he got tired, how he's like, nobody cares. Nobody understands how important this is. Nobody even cares. Everybody, oh, I got an appointment. I can't come to Bible study. I can't. Do you think I want to come to Bible study every Tuesday morning? Not really. I'm tired and I'm nauseous and I don't feel good. And you know what? We got to get in this and your world's a mess because you won't stay committed. And how are we supposed to fight this? That's how I was this morning. I'm like, Lord, I need a nap and a sandwich. Like something is wrong because y'all know I'm not that fiery some days. I don't care. I'm not committed, you know, or I'm thinking of earthly and worldly things. But when you've been out fighting the fight and fighting the fight and you get exhausted and you see what is going on in this world, I mean, Lindsay McCall is from Thompson Station right outside of Nashville. She came home to the Nashville school shooting And that's her neighborhood. And one of our praise and worship girls that travels with us, she was calling her because her kids go to that school. And I mean, it is so frightening what is going on. And today, when we get into a little bit of chapter 10, we will see, listen, there's much more going on behind the veil, you guys. This is a spiritual battle that we're a part of. And so, yes, I get fired up. We have got to know what is going on. We have got to get our face in the book. We need to get down on our knees in prayer. We're a part of battling kingdoms. And so, yeah, I get fired up, but I do need a nap and I need to calm myself down. So, Um, but anyway, pray for me because man, what a perfect time for spring break. (laughs) I need one next week, don't you? Yes, you're like, no, we're good. All right, I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna read uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 27 again out of the King James and I'm gonna finish up the thoughts of the 70 weeks as we get into chapter 10. All right, you ready? How many of you were so overwhelmed last week with the 490 years and 483. We'll just go back and listen to it. I I mean, we're all overwhelmed by it, to be quite honest. 
So here we go. Verse 24. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. And God, I just pray that you would uh, give me strength when I am weak and that your Holy Spirit would be the great teacher here, um, that you would just use me as an instrument. Um, Lord, I pray that you would always keep me humble and self-aware of my own frailties and, and faults. And we're all a part of this. We're, we're your body. And so God, I pray that when I need rest, you of all people know it, you will give it to me. And uh, I pray that you would heal me to be able to get through the week, um, not to be grumpy and judgy and all of that, because that's not what you're like. And so, God, may I be like you. I sure love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, therefore, know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks, which we know is how many weeks? 62 weeks. Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even into the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Man. Chapter 9 started with Daniel praying um, this beautiful prayer of repentance. He is hoping that the 70 years have been enough for the restoration of Israel. And he prays about that. He humbles himself and he talks about the fact that God has always stayed righteous in right relationship with his people. They have been the ones who have not, and therefore they are in open shame. And he he tells God, he says, you have been righteous in all of the calamity because we deserved it. In covenant, we broke that conditional covenant, and with that came consequences, and you have been absolutely righteous in bringing this calamity onto your nation. But Lord, it is because you are righteous that I, I appeal to you to forgive and restore. And there was that um, principle in there that God is righteous in, in calamity or injustice because there are consequences to sin. And we see the consequences uh, that justice must come and take care of the consequences of sin. But yet in the middle of consequences, we see that he is a promise God. In the middle of Adam's consequences, we have the proto-evangelium, proto uh, the first gospel, the promise of a redeemer that is coming. Um, we have an unconditional promise with Abram that he will make him a great nation and all nations will be blessed through them. But yet, how was he going to make them a blessing? 
through the covenant of the law, which is conditional, which says if you don't keep the covenant, there will be consequences. So you always see this beauty of justice and mercy, of consequence and promise. And he is appealing to that. And he is saying, God, because you have promised this, please forgive and restore. And his heart, remember, is let it be the 70 years. Is it enough? And then what was the answer? It's not. It's not enough. And he then tells him what will happen. And he says that there will not just be 70 years, but 70 sevens. And we talked about that last time. That was a total of 490 years until we see this uh, restoration that the Messiah will bring. It talks about that we talked about this um, 69 weeks, that there would be seven weeks or seven times seven, 49 years um, to see the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And then there would be 62 weeks or three score and two weeks, 62 weeks, 434 years, right? And that really coincides, to be honest, with the intertestamental period, um, the time of silence. And so 69 weeks would um, go by before we would see the presenting of the Messiah. And some believe that if you really tally, depending on um, what lunar year, solar year, the calendar, that it brings us about up to AD 29 or AD 30, and it brings us up to the baptism of Jesus. That is highly debated. But no matter what the starting point, and, and why is that such an issue? Why do you remember that? Why is the starting point? From the point of the going forth of the decree to rebuild the temple, why is that a sticking point? There's like four of them. I showed you there's four of them, but no matter what you view as the starting point, all four of those decrees see their 490 year fulfillment before the destruction of the temple. Look at verse 26. It says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come that shall destroy the city and sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. They shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. I'm going to suggest to you that that is AD 70, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And isn't it interesting that the Messiah would need to, and I told you last week, very few people debate that the 69 weeks presents the life of Christ. It's what they think about the 70th week where most of the debate is, but it's very interesting that the Messiah needs to be presented before the destruction of the temple. Did I talk about this last week? No, I've been all over the world, so I can't remember if I did. Um, because think about this, all the genealogy of the Jewish people, do you know where it was held? In the temple. It would be very difficult for a Messiah to show up and show in his genealogy that he is everything that the Bible prophesied for him to be, that he is from the tribe of Judah, that he is from the kingly line of David. You get my drift? And in AD 70, all of that was destroyed. And so you see that no matter what the start date is, um, that the presentation at the 69 weeks 
of the Messiah would need to be before the destruction of the temple. It goes on to say, um, let's see, I've got to find it for you because I know you want to read it. Okay, verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, so after the 62 weeks, um, remember it's seven years and then 62 years, um, no, seven years, seven years, seven weeks and 62 weeks, 69 weeks, or 49 years and 434 years, a total of 483 years. After that, the Messiah will be cut off. Would you like to get up here and teach that and keep that straight? Whoa. The Messiah will be cut off, it says, but not for himself. He will be killed, but not for himself, right? That makes total sense to me. Um, that is the cross. He was killed, but not for himself, not on account of his own guilt. And to be quite honest, um, once he was killed, it did appear, like yours may say, and he had nothing, and there was nothing, right? It appeared that it ended, that there was nothing. But he was cut off, not for his own guilt, but for ours. He will be the fi final spotless sacrifice for the removal of sin. But he will be cut off before the destruction of the temple. That is what I believe, because I believe that fits Matthew 26. I believe in the consecutive years, 490 years. I believe all of it has been fulfilled at the cross and that the ultimate destruction is the temple in AD 70. I think Matthew 26 fits this to where Jesus says, from this moment on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. To be seated at the right hand of power, we know that his death and resurrection exalted him. He was that one like the son of man that was presented to the ancient of days and he was given full dimension, dimension, dominion, and he was given an eternal kingdom. And the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame to what? Sit down at the right hand of God the Father. His death and resurrection exalted him to the right hand of power. But I believe when it is saying, and you will see me coming on the clouds of heaven, that's apocalyptic literature, in the prophets you will read about it, that is judgment language, and it is a judgment that is coming soon. And if you put it in context in Matthew 26 to what they've been talking about, what is he being accused of? You say you can destroy this temple, and in three days you will raise it up again. And I believe what he is saying because they want to know what authority he has over the temple. Remember, the temple was the highest place of authority. Um, it was the power seat of the high priest. And that is why they keep asking him about it because the only other person that have, would have power over the temple, over the high priest would be who? The Messiah. And they're asking and he is saying, yes, um, this is what is gonna happen. From this moment on, this trial, my death and resurrection, you are going to see me exalted to the position of power and you will see the judgment of the coming, what I have told you, the destruction of your temple. And so I believe that this is, this is what it is talking about, that he will be exalted and he will be vindicated. It says, the people of the prince shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. Um, 
I believe the prince to be Titus, the people, the Roman army that laid siege to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And then it says, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. I want to show you the language here. Look at Isaiah 8 so that you understand this language. Remember, in all of this, he is speaking to people who are fluent in Old Testament. They understand these, this language. This is talking about um, when Assyria came in to destroy the northern tribes of Israel. And listen to the language of it, verses 7. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass by, eve, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of the land. It's talking about when the Assyrian army came in and destroyed the 10 northern tribes of Israel, it was going to do so like a flood, like a river who pours over its banks, and it is going to go right up to the what? To the neck. Well, guess what? The Assyrians got right to the neck. What do you think that the head would be Jerusalem and the temple? They flooded right to the neck, almost wiping out the entire nation, but they didn't because Hezekiah was a good king and he stopped them. So do you see the picture? Do you see that apocalyptic literature? And so here in this, in this vision, Daniel is saying that that end will come like a flood. It's familiar language. And then he says, until the end of the war, desolations will be determined. Well, the war started in AD 66. And remember, Jesus has been warning them about worldly empires. He's, I mean, in my opinion, he's already called them the beasts. Jerusalem has become Babylon. And you have created a kingdom um, of power and you have trampled over the innocent. You've become the beast. And I'm telling you, I am here to usher in the true kingdom. And they reject their Christ. And he has been telling them, you are on a collision course with Rome. And it's going to happen. And he says that there until the end of the war, desolations will be determined. The war began in 66 AD. It ended in 73 AD with the climax of the war being the seizing of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, which was the complete removal of Jewish of the Jewish religious order. Think about it. Daniel is hearing about that when the Messiah comes, it is going to involve war and desolation and literally the end of a system, the only system he has ever known. And then it goes to verse 27. It says this. Oh, it gets so complicated. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Good grief. He will confirm a covenant. 
Well, the question is, who is the he? And man, do people argue over that. Is the he the prince that comes in and destroys the city and the temple? Is that Titus? Is the he going back to the discussion of the actual Messiah? Is the he uh, some other um, angelic being that has power over different territories? Just hold that. We're going to talk about that later. Is this in the future of the Antichrist? And well, I would tend to think uh, the first two are more probable that it's either talking about Titus or I'm going to suggest to you possibly it's still talking about the Messiah. It says that he will confirm the covenant. Matthew 26, 28. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the, trans, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the blood of my covenant. It says in, in uh, 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Well, Hebrews 10, 9 through 10. Some of you are wishing you'd have taken spring break this week. It says, then he added, behold, wait a minute, let's see. I'll start in eight. When he, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he had added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And so you have this picture that the Messiah will be presented at the 69th week, 483 years. And somewhere in the middle of that, so if, if you put it at the baptism, as some believe, about three and a half years later, you have the Messiah being what? Cut off. And he needed to come and be cut off before the destruction of the temple, which is he will be, uh, he will be elevated to the right hand of power by the cross, but he will be vindicated, all of this will be vindicated down the road when what he says will come true, the actual destruction of the temple, which will cease all of the sacrifices and literally do away with the religious system. But at the cross, I want you to know that he still did away with that system. And that he, he what was old, right, was replaced with what was true and right, and that is the sacrifice of his body, the perfect lamb of God, once and for all. No need for future sacrifice. 
See, I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was the fulfillment, like he said, of every ounce of the Old Testament law. I think when he said at the cross it is finished, he meant it is finished. He is the temple. He is our great high priest. He is the perfect sacrifice once for all. I do not believe that we will ever see a temple made by man that the Spirit of God will dwell in. And part of it, it says this, and it goes on to say, um, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. He shall make it desolate. I'm sorry, but it rings in my ears of uh, Matthew, if you remember this, 23, we talked about this verse 39, no, 38. I'm going to start 37. Am I confusing you yet? It'll be familiar. Oh, Jeru Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember, he's been in the temple, his last time in the temple. He's been arguing to death with the Pharisees. All the woes are happening, Okay. And he walks out and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, what? Desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the house of the, in the name of the Lord. I believe when he says it, it is. I believe that when he walked out, he is the spirit of God. He is God in the flesh. And I believe that when they rejected him and he walked out of that temple for the last time, he is saying, your temple is now empty and you will not see this until you see me come in glory in my second coming. It reminds me of when Jesus died on the cross, whether you believe it is an actual event or a story about the, the veil being split, right? We, we teach it in the sense that what did that mean? Yes, it does mean that we have access to God through Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice that we now by faith can enter into the presence of God, that he, Jesus, has put us in right relationship to God. Jesus is the temple. He is that which brings heaven to earth. That is what it is. But it also means this, the spirit of God, remember, because the spirit of God dwelt in the most holy place and the, the veil kept us out for sure right? But when the veil dropped, what was that saying? Your temple is left desolate. It's empty. It is no longer because he has replaced that. He is the temple of God. And so I believe all of this is fulfilled, honestly, at the cross. And yes, later, we're going to see his words play out when the temple is absolutely destroyed. For me, the problem is because there are people, um, there are different camps. Some people believe that the, six, the 70 weeks was fulfilled during the Maccabean period. 
They start the count at when they were taken into exile and they finish it by what happened to Antiochus Epiphanes when he defiled the temple, the abomination of desolation and how Judas Maccabeus came in and he gained independence and he purified the temple. And there are those that believe that this was um, symbolically talking about that event as a foreshadowing of what was to come. For example, like when we look at Abraham sacrificing Isaac, we see that that is a beautiful type of what was what? To come. And so they look at it that it is fulfilled in the days of the Maccabees um, and that it is picturing what is to come through Titus and Rome and the Messiah. I don't think the years tend to work out there very good me personal. There are other people that believe that at the 69 weeks that Jesus was presented, but now there is a gap of 2,000 plus years because they believe that the 70 weeks, mostly because they look at what it says needs to be finished, that sin needs to finish, that transgressions, and they don't see that happening today right? They can't see it. And so they project it into the future. When you then project it into the future and you start reading that, if that is a future event and it's talking about the sacrifices ceasing, how can that be if there's no temple? Oh, well, the, it must be that the Jewish people are going to come back to their land. They're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to reinstitute sacrifices, and we're going to have some other event in the future. Oh, there must be a rapture. Well, once you have that way of thinking, if you then read Matthew 24, right, and we talked about that, and you go into it thinking that, and then you read it, and they're asking him about the destruction of the temple, but you're reading it as in times, and then you read into the end of it where it says, and nobody knows the day of his return, not even the son, only the father. It will be like the days of Noah. People will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage, and some will be taken away and others will remain. If you're already coming into that with a rapture mentality about the end times, then you're going to read that like the Left Behind series that says that there will be those that are taken away into heaven and those that are left behind. But then I suggested to you the other week who actually was left behind in the days of Noah. Noah. And he was left behind in Christ Jesus in the ark. And it was those that were wicked, that were unbelieving, the unrighteous that were swept away. And so the question I have for you is, do you really want to be taken away or do you want to be left behind? I'm just saying. So all of this, it, it, you just go, what? okay, oh my gosh, right? Did you remember how I told you to hold this, right? It's all highly debated about when it will happen. But the fact is, at the end of the day, what do we know? We win, right? And I am highly loved. <laughs> he pronounced it desolate, the temple, and he prophesied its destruction. And I believe it was so. I believe when he says it, it is. And we may not see the fruition of it, I believe it's the same today. I believe Jesus is king and I believe he's on his throne. Does it look like that? No. 
Didn't look like that in the time of Babylon either, but Daniel used his stories to pull back the veil, the apocalypse, and he pulled back the veil to show you that actually God was in control, not Babylon. And I think it is the same today. I think when Jesus said it, it was. I think everything was finished. Everything was complete. And he is saying from this moment on, I'm exalted to the right hand of power. I am the king and I have begun my kingdom through people and I'm gonna do it the reverse of Babel. In Babel, he used language to slow down sin and to divide. To divide. And once he ushered in the kingdom at, the, um, at Pentecost, he used language in a different way, not to divide, but to what? Gather his people. And he used language not to slow down something, but to set it on fire with fiery tongues. And from that moment on, the kingdom of heaven began to spread. I believe it is finished and he is seated on his throne and we are watching the kingdom of heaven spread, but one day we will see him vindicated, vindicated when he returns and that's gonna be a glorious day. Um, Daniel's question was this, is the exile almost over? And the answer was no. What he hears is that this is just the first leg of God's judgment. The brokenness and sin of Israel is so deep that the exile didn't handle it. Something else must happen with God's righteousness to fully bring judgment of sin, but still meet with a moment of redemption. I cannot think of, I want you to get that. Daniel is like, is 70 years enough for restoration? And God says, no, sin is too deep here. Something has to take place where God's judgment and God's mercy can come together. Something has to take place that will fully bring judgment of sin, but still meet with a moment of redemption. To me, that 490 years ends in the, it's Jesus. I cannot think of a better place where justice and redemption, mercy, come together. I want you to think about this. In the time of Jesus, there was supposedly the greatest justice system that ever existed, the Roman justice system. And there was the most ancient religion of Israel, the Sanhedrin. And they both looked at perfection and cried, crucify it. We can't make things right, obviously. If we brought in our greatest justice system and our greatest religion, they would look at perfection and kill it. And so only God can make it right. Only Jesus can make it right and the cross. I told you last week that the New Testament historians felt like the 490 years had come, that they could feel the rumblings at the time of Christ, that it was the 490 years was almost here. This religious political leader that Daniel had talked about, it's prime time for him. No wonder the wise men traveled um, to see this child who was born. No wonder you have the story of Anna and Simeon praying to God to see the Messiah before they die um, because they felt like it was coming. 
So Daniel, now we enter into chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, are you highly confused about the 70 weeks? I did my best. What's going to (laughs) happen? Some of you are going to walk out of here and just believe me and you'll be content. (laughs) Some of you are going to go, I don't know, I think she's a heretic and she has told us that she doesn't believe in the secret rapture. Now do not go out here and say, I don't believe in a rapture because I do believe in a rapture. I believe we're going to be raptured up to return with the king to make all things right. But some of you are going to be like, no, no, I've been praying this whole time. I've been thinking we're out of here, right? If your attitude is you can't wait to be out of here, then what good are you here? He's put us here for a reason. He cares about this earth. We should care about this earth. He cares about people. We should care about people. And yes, I know we get crazy when we see everything that is going on in the world. We want to either swing the sword or split. That's that's our two options. But he's telling us, no, you are to remain and endure and remain faithful. You're a part of this restoration. You're a part of this kingdom. And so I I think that is so important. But in Daniel 10, we're going to see that this vision has stuck with him. Wouldn't it you? I mean, you're hoping the 70 years is enough. And you just heard, no, not even near. 70 times seven. That's what's going to be enough. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. We're just probably going to get there. Okay, so in the what year? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Okay, so Cyrus conquered Babylon in about 539 BC. Do you remember the whole uh, chapter, Daniel chapter 6, the writing on the wall? Okay, when the Persians start, came in and they conquered Babylon. So two years after the decree allowed them, he allowed them to go home. You can read about this in Ezra 4. I mean, Ezra 1, 1 through 4. Okay, So two years after, he sends out a decree allowing the Israelite people to go home, all right? What are they doing? Well, remember, he said they could come home. Did most of them come home? No. The exiles were released to go home, anybody who wanted to. The majority of them stayed. They had, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking melded in, that's not the word, but to that world. They, they'd made their lives there. They didn't come home. Matter of fact, only three caravans came home over time. But at this point, one caravan had come under Zerubbabel, and they were in the process of rebuilding the temple. That is what they started. Um, but as they started to rebuild the temple, and you can read about this in Ezra chapter one, they started a uh, one through four, they started to face all kinds of opposition from people about rebuilding the temple. And they they were confronted with all kinds of corruption and power. Now I want you to think about that. When Cyrus said that they could go home, Daniel didn't go. Why do you think he didn't go? 
Well, good grief, he's 88 years old, right? I mean, <clears throat> he is 88 years old, and I do believe that his leadership role has changed. Um, I think he's pretty old to be building a temple, but I can tell you what he's not too old to do, pray. It, it's kind of this sense of, he has had all of this time in leadership and influence, and now he's old, and he's begin, beginning to see them go home. He's not a part of the actual rebuilding, but he is there in prayer. It's, it's kind of like David, when David had the idea that in the passion to, re, to build a temple for God, but yet David didn't get to do it. Who did it? his son Solomon. And so his role, he has put in all of this time in exile, in leadership, in influence, in remaining faithful. And now the decree has been given and not very many people are going home, but this one caravan is going home under Zerubbabel and they're rebuilding the temple, but they are facing all kinds of opposition. Who do you think is hearing about all of this opposition? Daniel. He's still in a high level. And so he is facing, he is, he is doing what he can do and pray. I think we could sit and journal about how there are different seasons in our life that God calls us to do different things. But we don't ever stop. We're all apart. There's, there's really no retirement in the Bible. We're all doing what we can do. I can tell you right now, there is going to be a time where I do not have the energy to do all the things that I do right now. And I look at different young people fighting different battles, and they're all a part of it. And so I look at Daniel, who I believe had longed to go back and see his homeland, and he realizes that now he can't, and he's hearing of all that is going on. And then what else is in the back of his mind? the 490 years. So he knows. He knows it's not going to be this, oh, we're going home, this great exodus of freedom. No, he knows it. And so when he hears about this first caravan going home under Zerubbabel, right, this is not a massive exodus, a celebration like coming out of um, Egypt where, the, where God frees them and finally brings them back home and it is glorious. It's not going to be like that. He already knows it. And so one caravan goes home, starts building the temple, and it's a slow go, and they're already getting resistance, and he is hearing about it. And so he begins to pray, and his heart is broken. Don't you think it's interesting that they use the name Belshazzar? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. He's 88 years old. Where did we hear about this? In Daniel chapter 1, so why is Daniel, he's writing this book, I don't think it's a mistake, why does he, this late in the day, refer to himself again as Belshazzar? I think he's doing it on purpose. I think it's actually connecting us back full circle, reminding us of chapter 1. What are we reminded about in chapter 1? That this 16 to 18 year old kid was taken into exile? And when we think about when he was first named Belshazzar and he was taken into exile, what do we know? At 88, he's still there. He is still there. But guess what? 
What else do we learn in chapter one? I'll tell you a key phrase. Daniel 1, verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. You probably don't remember this, but one of the things I taught you, I believe almost in the first week, is that this, who is in control? God. Nebuchadnezzar came in and he won the battle, but it just said right here that he won it because God gave Jehoiakim into his hands. So guess what? God is in control. So could it be that Daniel is reminding, yes, this is sad. About 17 to 18, I was taken into exile and I was named Belteshazzar. I am now 88 years old and I was really, really hoping that I'd get to go home and that the 70 years would be enough. And I would see my people once again walk out of an enemy nation to be restored as a nation. And guess what? Wasn't going to be like that. Believe it or not, the decree went out that my people could go home. Majority of them stayed. But one caravan went home and they have begun the rebuilding of the temple and it has not been easy. And they are facing opposition. And so I, Daniel, Belshazzar, I need to be reminded that what? God is in control. He is in control. It says, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding regarding the vision. Here, God is going to bring a word to Daniel, a word that is what? True. And it is a word about a great conflict. And he is going to once again remind us that he is in control. It says this, in these days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Mm. We're later told that he did this to gain understanding. He is grieving over the future of his people, grieving as if they are already dead. He is mourning. He is fasting. He is literally turning to ash because he has put no oil on his body for three weeks. And at the time, you're going to see that this is in the first month, he has just had Passover. What does Passover celebrate? The nation of Israel who's been in bondage of Egypt, Passover freed them, and it was this massive exodus. So he has just celebrated Passover. He is celebrating the fact that God saved his people from bondage and, and sent them in, and then brought them to freedom. But what is he experiencing? Not that. His people are still in bondage. And this was definitely not a great exodus. And so all of this, as he's celebrating these things, he realizes it's going to be a long time. And it says that he humbles himself. He begins to grieve over his people. This vision, he's got it in his mind. 
This vision is going to end with the Messiah, but wars and desolations and the end of everything he's ever known. I mean, would you get that vision out of your mind? And you just celebrated Passover, which is a time where God is faithful and he frees his people, but he realizes this is not happening and he mourns and he doesn't put oil on his skin. He's turning to ash. And so God hears him and he's going to show up and he's going to get him a word of truth. But the word of truth is to show him about a conflict. And when we come back, we're going to look, and this is a crazy chapter. If you've pre-read, Some holy being shows up, says, I would have been here earlier, but the prince of Persia kept me from coming for 21 days. Matter of fact, Michael had to show up because the kings of Persia had me hostage. Are you freaked out? All right. But we have come to you because we heard you from the minute you opened your mouth and you are greatly loved, and, and they're telling us about a conflict. And I believe what they're going to tell us, what they're showing us, is that what we see here is only a minute part. What he is saying is that there is a connection. There is a, a connection between what is going on behind the veil and what is going on here. It is a spiritual battle that we are facing. Boy, is it ever. If you cannot see that, you need to open your eyes. This is a spiritual battle that we are facing. And the fact is, we're not the only ones fighting it. There is fighting going on behind the veil, and we're a part of it, and we're a part of God's kingdom. And so we have a job to do. I'm a part of that. The problem is most of the time the way I want to fight it is not the way he wants me to fight it. I'm always having to turn that upside down. And he is going to basically begin to tell Daniel, we see you. We've seen what you have done. We've seen that you have remained faithful, that you have endured. And I know you're brokenhearted. It's a lot for one man to know. But we've seen you. You're important to us and you are loved. And we're fighting too. We're fighting behind the veil. And so they're going to encourage him to remain faithful. It's something else. And so I need a week off (laughs) so I can prepare for it. Um, Any question? I know, it's a lot. Wasn't the first half of Daniel so fun with stories? I feel so inadequate to be able to teach you this stuff. You can learn from a much smarter person, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I just want you to get the main things, okay? One main thing you could have gotten today is the cross handled it. It did. I believe that what Adam could not do in bringing the kingdom of God through the earth and what Israel could not do because they ended up Babel. I believe Jesus came and he did it. And he did it not by drawing the sword, but he did it by coming in peace and laying down his life 
so that he could pay our debt so that we could be born of the spirit and we could be citizens of a godly kingdom. And I believe he's sitting on, I believe he is sitting on his throne right now. King of kings and Lord of lords. And I believe he is our high priest that is acquainted with every woe we have ever had. And I believe he is always interceding on our part. And I believe that we have an entire army fighting in the spiritual realm. And I know that I need to stay connected to the spirit of God to be able to be a part of the restoration of what will happen on this earth. I cannot disengage. And I cannot go around picking the wheat and the tare because I would pick out the wrong one. I would swing the sword, I promise you, and hit the innocent. <clears throat> and so I just believe there is so much that we can learn. The power of prayer, how powerful that tool is and how very little we use it. And so there's a lot of takeaways. You get to choose. We're going to come back to Daniel chapter 10. Do me a favor and don't go brain dead this next week. Okay? It's been a lot. Maybe go back and watch. Go back and read the beautiful prayer maybe. In chap These visions make the visions of the beast and the son of man in the ancient of days seem simple. Don't they? Okay? That's pretty simple. Or um, the visions of chapter 8. <clears throat> but go back and read that and journal some of these places. Um, and, and look over your notes. It's, it really is good stuff. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for today. God, I thank you that I know that you will be the great teacher. Um, there's so much stuff, Lord, that we don't know. But I'm honestly not concerned about that. Because if I could just stay true to what I did know. That would be a feat. And so, God, I pray that I would do that. I thank you, Lord, that I believe you finished everything, that you're the full completion of the law, that you did what we could not do, that you offer us salvation. You offer us um, to be children of God, citizens of your heavenly kingdom, not because of anything we did, but because of everything you did. And Lord, I pray that I would live a life where I am always longing and looking for your great return. Because if I am always longing for the king's return, then I will be about my king's business. Lord, it is so easy for us to become complacent and to get comfortable in the world, just like the Israelites did in Babylon. And when they were given the option, they didn't even go home because they had set up a comfortable world there. And so, God, I pray that I would not be so comfortable in this world, that I, like Abraham, would look forward um, to a promised land whose architect was God, and I'll be a part of that. Lord, I love you, and I just pray that you would just constantly um, draw me deeper into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.